1: I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in the beautiful town bank building, and we are also located in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is. Directly across from Winkies. And we're really happy to say that we also have an office in Bonita Springs, Florida. We welcome you to go to EllenBecker.com if you'd like to see our office. And um, we also have our pictures up there. So it's one way to take that first step to get to know us. My guest today is Alderman Mike Murphy. And Mike is now serving his seventh term for the 10th district. Alderman Murphy is the longest serving member of the current Common and I have known Mike for many, many, many mm-hmm. years. And Mike has been on the radio show many times talking about several different topics that touch Milwaukee. And, you know, we talk about this show being Money Sense. And it's really to kind of make sense of all the different things that are happening in our community as well as our portfolios and, and our lives and our lifestyle. And so Michael, you were on, and it was in 2016, I believe. we've been on, actually it was 2014, 16, and now again, um, just talking about Milwaukee. And we wanted to start the conversation about some really fun things that are going on in the city. And, of course, the city is getting so much exposure now. We've got all the film festivals. We just had Bastille Days. There's... um, jazz in the park and things going on and so a lot of people are coming downtown but they don't really know um some of the great things the home bridge the lighting of the home yeah. bridge i mean there's some really great things we've now got the northwestern mutual building is up and so milwaukee's happen and a lot of times people um they don't realize all the great things that are going on in the city so you're here to talk about some of that as well
0: yeah absolutely there is a lot of exciting things going on and we certainly organized to days to coincide with the French winning the World Cup. So that was uh, really good planning. But, you know, um, we've seen an incredible amount of development in our downtown, in our community, several billion dollars worth of development. Um, we have the new Milwaukee Bucks that will be opening up their new right. facility. The, the Milwaukee Ballet is groundbreaking of their new building. The Milwaukee Symphony will be opening up um, and doing their groundbreaking where the former Grand Theater was just west of the river. Uh, The Milwaukee um, Public Museum is embarking on raising money for a new museum. Discovery World is in their expansion of their new building, the Modern, a new residential development is being constructed. Um, You know, we have a huge amount of uh, financial development. that's really occurring uh, An office development, uh, residential. A new hotel hotel was just announced today, the Cambria, out of the Choice Hotels. Right next it's, to me, that hotel yeah. is
1: converted into all apartments, which is just fantastic.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, Mark Ergens is doing a new office development. They got the new hotel uh, uh, down the street, but the BMO is doing an expansion of their office development. So uh, it's really exciting to see the Renaissance that's occurring. People don't realize when we're speaking about money, um, the uh, downtown represents about two and a half percent of the land mass of the city of Milwaukee, but it generates almost nearly 20% of the tax base. So, you know, seeing a healthy, strong downtown really helps the city be able to pay its bills. And uh, certainly uh, the growth, um, we see a lot of millennials and and, uh, young people moving downtown. And I think it's due to the Sports and entertainment, but also certainly the cultural enhancements that are being offered in the city. So it's a very exciting time to, um, to be in Milwaukee.
1: We've got the trolley. I saw the trolley up a steel days. They're right. really actually very cool looking. And then we've also got Foxcom. Everybody's hearing about that coming in, bringing more revenue. And so I think downtown Milwaukee is is hopping and there's a lot of things happening down at the lakefront and it's a good place for people to have an awareness to um, venture from the suburbs.
0: <laughs> yeah. Venture
1: in from, you know, Racine and Kenosha and really take in. We got the, the state fair coming. I mean there's just lots of good things. Yeah, and all the festivals happening. are all coming. All the festivals up. Right. are are really happening. How do we um how do we stand against other cities on, on all the different fronts? I mean, you know, we've got crime and we've got right. <laughs> all of that, but we've also got good things happening. But how do we stand in terms of other, other places?
0: I, you know, I think this, you know, city is, is doing pretty well um, in terms of its development. Right. Um, but, you know, it, sometimes it can be like a tale of two cities. Um, you know, we've <laughs> strong and healthy development in different parts of the city, not just downtown, the third ward, the fifth ward. Uh, Bronzeville is certainly making a comeback. Um, But, you know, we have pockets of very, very deep uh, poverty. And part of that goes back to um, planning policies that have been instituted by the state of Wisconsin, our suburban communities that really restricted the ability of um, affordable housing or low-income housing to be built outside of the city. So as a policy, we've really kept the poor in the city. When you keep the poor in one area and you do it through economic and um, and segregation, as a result, that really creates um, a lot of challenges for a city like Milwaukee you know, um, with the rest of the state. in um, You know, that's where I think, you know, one area of the city is trying to make an improvement in terms of the residential development and business development opportunities in those parts of our community that historically have not seen the investment. So that's always been a challenge. And I think as it compares to the other cities across the country nationally, we're not much different except that we do have a long historical record of where we've kept the poor in the city.
1: What's happened in terms of business? Um, Some of the small businesses are really – the, um, the roots of the community.
0: It is, and, you know, we always hear about, you know, the big business like BMO Harris expansion and, or, uh, Northwestern, but really the, as you know, the vast majority of jobs created in this country and the city are through small businesses. And we see a lot of small businesses growing in the city, which is really, really great to see. Um, um, and we're, we still have a strong record of seeing, um, expansion of manufacturing, um, in the city that's occurring. And that's a very positive trend. Um, you know companies like Halliburton, Titan, had an expansion not too long ago on the northwest side, um, and you know they pay good jobs and uh, pay a good salary and are a good employer. And the reality is, is that um, we want to encourage that growth in our land banks in the northwest side of Milwaukee, or other parts of our city. Uh, And I think, though, you know, we'll be very – you know, we're not an island to itself. And, you know, we'll see what happens with all these tariffs, which unfortunately are targeting our state companies and and local companies here. Uh, I just was hearing uh, Canada just imposed some very strong tariffs on the dairy industry. So, you know, we're we're really kind of a bit apprehensive about uh, going into a trade war with not only our – you know, with China and – other countries, but with our friends like Mexico and, and Canada. So it, it, that that worries, I think, a lot of small businesses. People forget the multiplier effect. You know, when you uh, impose tariffs on steel, it has a very uh, long impact on small businesses. And so we'll see what happens.
1: How beneficial is it for us to have the lake?
0: You know, it's an remarkable, incredible benefit. 20% of the world's fresh water is at our doorsteps, um, we have incredibly clean water and uh, access to a volume that makes this a very attractive um, uh, location for companies who are water based. That's why we have a school of, public, uh, school, uh, school of water sciences at the university, one of the best schools in the country, if not internationally. In addition, um, the the Water Institute that was uh, by uh, Bill um, Musen from Badger Meter, who took the leadership on creating that, has really brought in a substantial number of businesses, small businesses that have now grown to mid-sized companies over at the Freshwater School and also at the Water Institute. So all that, I think, makes us a very attractive choice to bring in that type of industry. And we're encouraging more companies to locate their business here because of that access.
1: You know, Michael, I hear so many people say, I would never get into politics. (laughs) You have to be crazy to get into politics. What keeps you in politics and what keeps you so embedded in Milwaukee?
0: You know, my parents are immigrants to this country. They came here in 1960 from Ireland with two kids and $50 in his pocket. And, um, you know, they always instilled uh, a sense of responsibility in us to give back to the community. And, I think those lessons I learned from my mom and dad um, played a big role in uh, staying in the the field of politics because, you know, this country, this city has given myself and my family incredible opportunities. And I've always felt like I had a responsibility to give back and so do my brothers and sister. They feel the same way. So, you know, for me – you know, it's very, very basic. I just wanted to make a difference in my life, and I felt through politics I could do that. And in this area, I still really feel I make a difference. But um, it's a pretty um, simple sort of uh, attitude in life, you know, if you're, we're here to serve.
1: Ah. Let's take a quick break, Michael. And I know one of the things that you have been really taking a look at is the city and county here opioid, opiate and cocaine Um addiction and you have a task force and you were here in 2016 and we took a look at it and I think that it's such an important um, thing for people to really understand and and the cost I mean the cost the emotional cost the cost of families the cost of community the cost to businesses um, is just horrific and so we'll take a break and with that we'll be right back great Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is Alderman Michael Murphy, and he has talked a little bit about this great city that we live in. And I often think that when I have company come here, it's sort of like a secret. A lot of times, people don't really understand mm-hmm. the benefits and the beauty of our city. And as many of you know, um, and if you don't, um, I. Invite you to stop in our Pewaukee office because I spent three weeks in Africa, Ethiopia, and the Oma Valley. And in each one of those places, one of the things that was just um, so difficult to comprehend was every one of those places, one of their jobs, their children or the parent, the mother, was to carry water. Mm-hmm. I mean they carried water miles every single day, many times they were taking it out of streams, which the um influenza and diphtheria and all of that is what people are really struggling yeah. with there um because the water's not clean and it's the only water they have and If they should have a well, it's for Such a large community, and they carry it on their backs. And so, Michael, when I come here and I look at Lake Michigan and I look at the water that we have and the showers that we have, it's it's mind-blowing that how many people, the number one risk they have is no water. Right. And so I think that that's really a privilege that sometimes we really do take for granted. One of the things that we can't take for granted is – One of the major issues that's hitting the city of Milwaukee is all over the country, and you'll talk about that, is what's happening with the drug addictions and heroin, opiate, and cocaine. And to take a look at that in terms of Milwaukee because I think we all have to know. And, you know, Michael, Julie went to a class just recently where they trained her if she would ever see somebody that would have a – uh, an overdose. Right. They, she actually got trained on it and has a kit yeah. that she can use. Um, and I was, I was like, seriously? And she said, yeah. And there was like fifty people in that class, fifty parents that were yeah. being, just be, being educated on it. And I think that's what you're all up to right. is educating people on what's going on, so that we feel that at least we have an understanding. Um, and I know you're gonna talk about also some of the things that we can do. So first of all, Michael, how did you even get started in taking that on as um, a cause that you really believed you could make a difference?
0: You know, a number of years ago, I was hearing from constituents um, <clears throat> about either mobile drug trafficking deals that are occurring in their house or hearing from parents themselves expressing grave concern about their own children and what was being done to us. help them and their community. And so uh, I felt very strongly that I put together a a large group at Marquette University sponsored by the Zilber Family Foundation and Marquette University. We brought in over 350 people and experts around the country to talk about some of the trends and what we're trying to do. But subsequently, I realized there needed to be more organized effort, so I put together the citywide and countywide task force. To give you a big picture, most people would be maybe not surprised but shocked And more people in the United States died of overdose deaths in one year than all of Vietnam War. So in one year, more people died of overdose deaths in the whole war. That's
1: an incredible number.
0: It is. It's over 63,000 people. And, you know, here in Milwaukee, unfortunately, we're not isolated. Um, In Milwaukee County, over nearly 400 people lost their lives in Milwaukee County through overdose deaths. And, uh, you know, that's more than homicides and car accidents combined. And, and we don't
1: really hear about that.
0: No, you don't, you know. And I think sometimes part of that is the stigma associated with um, addiction. So often people um, feel that that's an individual choice and they can pull themselves out of their um, uh, bootstraps and, and bootstrap. And the reality is, you know, it's a brain disease. It's a public health threat. Um, it's, and we know from best medical evidence some people are much more susceptible to addiction than others. And so I've really tried to put a task force that would focus on this, uh, looking at as a public health epidemic. And so there, it's comprised of the coroner of our uh, medical examiner. Um, we have representatives from Milwaukee County, from Oak Creek, the mayor of Oak Creek, um, health experts to try and come up with looking at how we can uh, ad- address this as a countywide solution. Um, we are, um, you know, struggling at times though, because, you know, we see, um, drugs like fentanyl and carfentanil, which have had a devastating impact when you talk about Narcan, which is the drug naloxone, um, is being used to revive people. The Milwaukee Fire Department, just the Milwaukee Fire Department last year, responded to 3,400 incidences of overdoses in Milwaukee.
1: 3,400?
0: 3,400 3, is where um, they responded. So we have a huge challenge facing our, our city, our county, our country, and uh, putting this task force together, we're... Seeking public input, we'll be uh, releasing a final report in September. We have a meeting over at the Mitchell Public Library on the 24th at 530, seeking the community's input into the task force recommendations. But we really want to reach out to the public to seek their assistance, their thoughts and advice. Um, We have a wonderful expert, Dr. Brooke Lunner, from the Medical College of Wisconsin, who's um, been putting together, um, work collaboratively with the Zilber Foundation. And if people want to seek out assistance and resources, they can go to my website, Milwaukee.gov. They can get a link to the medical colleges and analysis and their work with COPE. We're uh, looking with Mike Lapin, Mike Lapin from Milwaukee County uh, Behavior and Health, who is uh, really reaching out to try and find additional resources to provide treatment options. And we're going to drive some innovative efforts working with the House of Correction in the Milwaukee County Jail in, in administering uh, drug Vivitrol to um, inmates who are leaving um, jail who have been addicted to try and um, break them off their addiction. Um, we're working with Take Back Initiative um, with John uh, Richards to try and get um, prescription drug medicines um, um, I'm not being disposed into our waterways where people will take their prescription medicine, put it down the toilet because that gets to our ecosystem into our water system. And we don't clean for that. And that it contaminates our fish and our drinking water. And, and we know children um and others have gotten access to medical uh, drugs like oxycodone through the medicine cabinet. So if they're properly disposed of, you know, that's an important prevention mm-hmm. factor. So, you know, it's, A multi-pronged attack. Uh, We didn't get into this problem overnight. Many people got addicted to a legal narcotic, oxycodone, that was originally marketed as a non-addictive drug. It it has caused great harm throughout our country where people took this drug thinking they wouldn't be addicted. And, of course, you know, they were. And then when we pulled those drugs away from people, they went to street drugs and they went to heroin and and then people now mixing it with cocktail drugs, including oxycodone, um, fentanyl, which interesting enough, fentanyl and carfennel, far- is uh, a thousand times more powerful than morphine. And it was used as a tranquilizer for elephants. So as the medical exam- examiner told me when I was in his uh, office and we were doing autopsies, he says one grain is enough to kill you. So one or two grains, and we have police officers who have succumbed to where they've had to add on our or because they've absorbed it through their skin and they've collapsed. So it's a very deadly drug, and that's why we've seen this huge increase in deaths. So, you know, trying to uh, look at this from a public health epidemic and, and trying to find additional resources has been one of the challenges the task force we're working on right now.
1: You know, Michael, last time you were on the show, you said something that blew, blew my mind, and I had no comprehension, comprehension of it, and that was that who, was, who were the users? Right. And I thought they were going to be kids, and they're really not.
0: No, they're not, and I think there's a misconception. So that's when you talk about your media campaign. You should, it's important to look at prevention with young people, but the reality is the average person dying in Milwaukee County is a 43- or 44-year-old white female or male. So people, um, you know, when you look at how you try and focus your resources, a a prevention campaign, certainly using social media, but how do you work towards an older crowd that are dying in our cities? And I I think that's an important recognition. Um, You know, and then you look at the demographics um, in addition to the age. You know, race plays a role, um, you know, and that's why we felt strongly cocaine should be considered because, you know, the African-American community is certainly hit by opiates, but cocaine is a bigger problem in their community. And uh, so we're looking at substance abuse overall. Um, But as you realize um, the scope of the problem, and we're talking about financial, certainly, you know, the personal loss is incalculable in terms of the cost, what it does to a family. You know, if you ever lose a child or lose a father or or a brother, it's devastating. Um, but the financial, I've had businesses contact me and say, "Listen, all them appreciate all the developments going on to downtown. I'm glad to see the construction, but I want to talk to you about. Um, I have employees who are either taking off work for their kids or they themselves are failing drug tests, and it's having a big impact on how I operate my business. You know, what's what are we doing to address this issue? Um, and I think so long it's been a, a secret that people keep to themselves. They don't want to share it um, for many reasons. Part of it's a stigma, of drug addiction. And um, as a result, people share that you know, don't share that pain, and they keep it to themselves. And the, the, the emotional cost is devastating. i talked to many parents who've lost kids. I've talked to um, brothers who've lost their, their brother. And, you know, um, you can't calculate that cost. Um, but, you know, in terms of economics, You know, the lost productivity of 400 people that could have been productive in our community is, um, they can quantify that. And we're talking nationally, billions of dollars have been lost in human capital um, in just the production of those individuals.
1: When you talk about 3,400 people overdosing, um, that's 3,400 people that are using with the potential of dying.
0: It is. And strikingly, what is unfortunate in our city, which is a little bit different from other communities, these were first-time saves. So these were not repeats where people have, you know, overdosed more times. So that really sends a signal to me that in many respects we haven't plateaued. So um, other communities, it's usually a save. um, They've documented it's like the third time Mm -hmm. that somebody's been receiving. You know, Karen, I had a, a talk with a a nurse from Children's Hospital that really broke my heart, where she had an eleven-year-old child in her office, in which um, her her mother had OD'd and she'd called on it, and she said, "Well, honey, I'm going to uh, examine you, but I'm going to examine your your brother and sister, younger brother and sister in the room." And the eleven-year-old said, "You know, you don't have my permission. You you have to have my signature, and I have to be in the room present when you're examining them." So she was playing the role of the adult. Mm-hmm. and when you think about the trauma that that child has seen, she's called more than three times on her mom who's overdosed on the bathroom floor.
1: How do you live through that? Well,
0: and it has a devastating oh. long-term impact for that child and her siblings for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's a huge trauma, financial, otherwise emotional. And, you know, here's an 11-year-old who's playing the adult, taking care of a 6-year-old and a 4-year-old, and um, and her mother. And, um, you know, how are we trying to address that issue? And that's where you – it's very frustrating because the resources are not there that I would like to see to address those issues.
1: Michael, I think Julie had told me about this, um, but someone had about there is – is it at the police department where there is a a room, an actual bedroom – And parents can take a class, and they walk them through this bedroom to help them to distinguish signs that their child might be doing drugs. And like if there's cotton balls or spoons or – is that something we have in our community? Yeah, it
0: is, and it's something that our task force is looking at uh, making available for people to come and go through here in Milwaukee. I think we plan on working with the city of Oak Creek to have that at a location – where people can come in on a weekend and um, we'll be announcing that um, in the task force recommendations where people will have an opportunity to go through, um, go into the building and see what they could potentially um, maybe stop someone or prevent some other pain and suffering.
1: Well, it's it's sort of like it's frightening because – I've heard parents say, "I didn't have any idea," and I know at least three people whose children have died from drug overdoses, um, where it was a first-time use. Yeah. They believed it was a first-time use, anyways. Um, getting something really bad, and um, it's it's so frightening. It's, it is, it's you know, so frightening.
0: I have I have a friend who's uh, a psychiatrist and. He told me what he always does, and he, he does with treatment. He'll have mainly, you know, the kids around the table, and they'll be drinking a soda can from them. And he'll offer all of them a drink, and he'll say, well, I'm not drinking it. You drink out of it. And he'll say, well, yeah, but you're willing to take something and inject it in your arm um, and I have no idea what it is. So there's a real disconnect with the kids. Mm-hmm. And, of course, kids are so um, think they're you know, invulnerable and they're going to live forever. And, you're, and it can happen. I mean, all it takes is a dealer. On a kitchen table, mixing heroin with a little fentanyl. And if he mixes it to the left or the right, depends whether you live or die. And that's all it takes. And unfortunately, it's true. I I've, I've heard the same reports. First time user tried mm-hmm. it, and they didn't have Narcan at a party. Yep, and and they're gone. And they're gone. And you know,
1: they literally what? And they, they went to sleep.
0: Yep, they went and to they sleep. And did not wake up? Yep, and um and that's how deadly fentanyl, car fentanyl is
1: mike let 's take uh, let 's take a break. My guest today is Alderman Mike Murphy, and we are talking about our precious city and we 're talking about our precious children and what is even more disturbing is our precious adults who have found themselves in a situation of addiction that seems almost impossible to escape and Michael, what you said I think is so important is it 's a disease, and yes it's it's embarrassing and i I know that people look at it, but part of the process here is changing how people mm-hmm. really look at this and so when we take a we'll take the break when we come back you've got eight things that your task force was looking at, and maybe we could take a look at those and how that's working um, you've already talked about a couple of them, but you are looking at um, existing prevention programs and um, looking at the number of the deaths and the violations and getting services, adequate access to services. And those are all huge, important pieces. And with that, we'll be right back. It's- Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you would like to hear Michael's tape, if you've got someone that you really know would be impacted to hear some of this, you can go to EllenBecker.com, go to radio shows, go to Money Sense, and um, Mike's uh, radio show will be on there. So you have the ability to listen to it again. And I think one of the things that's so important uh, about what we're doing is to get people to hear this so that it becomes a community. Um, it is a community problem, but it comes becomes a community solution. My guest today is Alderman Mike Murphy, and he um, originated a, um, a team in uh, Focus group to really take a look at the heroin and opiate and cocaine um, in Milwaukee a task force. And Michael, earlier I had mentioned that you had eight initiatives that you were looking at, and one of them was to enhance and fund existing prevention programs to keep individuals from developing substance use disorders.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things is um, we were trying to work collaboratively with Milwaukee County government is Milwaukee County is really providing the resources in many respects for the treatment of individuals and and in many respects housing. Um, So whenever the county submits an application, whether it's to the state or the federal government, we join with them. And, you know, this disease has no political boundaries. We work collaboratively with uh, the leadership like Mike uh, Lappin, and, and wanting to get them the financial resources to expand the coverage of both treatment and and, um, and housing. Although right now we do have a shortage of beds available for people who want to. But fortunately, I know Mike is going to be announcing a substantial grant that they received to help expand opportunities. But, you know, when you think and of... And they
1: want to. Yeah. That know, was the key word. They yeah. have to want it.
0: It is, you know... I, house, I had an opportunity to take a tour of and um, um, Senator Tammy Baldwin has been working very hard on this issue and I brought her staff through there and the executive director was just a wonderful person and her staff were incredible and but the reality is the, the women that are at this location uh, um, uh, they have to choose to be there um, they have reached a point in their lives where they know they need help and they want to be in recovery and um, they have a very regimented uh, very thoughtful and foreign program. But, you know, if somebody doesn't want help, um, it's very difficult to force them, um, you know, and that's the challenge. And it's a very powerful addiction to the brain. And, um, but, you know, people, when they reach the bottom, they, they need to help, have a helping hand there to pick them up. And people like at MetaHouse um, play a big role in that.
1: I was talking to someone knowing that you were coming on the show and I had said to them what what can you do? I mean if you have a child and or an adult or someone that is in in this um whirlwind which is almost what it seems like that they can't get out. It's like they're chasing their tail and they don't see hope. Mm-hmm. And he said to me you just keep telling them that you love them and that there's nothing that they can do to stop your love. And because what happens often is that they feel they can't get out and tomorrow won't be any different, so why get clean? Right. There's no hope. They lose hope.
0: It, it is, you know, and, and um, yeah, I've had uh, discussion with people who, you know, after they do get clean and they realize the damage they've caused uh, to personal relationships with their family, you know, I've had people where they've stolen the jewelry from their parents and grandparents house and hocked everything and um they, they've burnt all these bridges and then they get clean and sober and they realize oh my god i've done all these bad things and then they try to rebuild relationships and and then they get depressed mm-hmm. and they, they have a difficult time finding a job and and they go right back into uh, calling a friend who may be still addicted and say hey how are things and they go back to uh, partying and then they're back to addiction. So, you know, having a support system, but this is no easy challenge. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, parents who, and family members I've, who have done everything they possibly can and, and they're just so burnt out, um, it's hard for them to get back in, into there. And I think that's where, you know, the community um, or the um, services that we can provide, uh, whether it's um, treatment or with uh, providing housing, to provide somewhat of that assistance where people have just so emotionally and financially drained um, is a big factor. And you know, that gets back to just prevention, trying to stop this from even getting to that point is another key area that we're working on. And then of course, the introduction of stopping the drugs getting into our community.
1: You had also reduced the number of opioid related deaths in Milwaukee County, reduced the number of drug violation related arrests among youths um that's hard it is hard and you know i think one of the
0: focuses um right now the police department has a a joint task force dealing with this issue is really going after the big dealers those are the individuals who are bringing in the heroin and fentanyl um and trying to get those drugs off the street you know and they're causing great violence in the street too people don't understand the other factor yeah people are know are individually hurting themselves but in the communities where they're selling these drugs causes great violence because drug dealers are fighting about territory Mm -hmm. and you know they they don't have any qualms about shooting up houses and you know we had a little boy bill uh about two years ago three years ago that was killed because um they shot up the wrong drug house and so the harm you know people think they're only doing to themselves they're causing great harm in terms of the violence in our city
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Michael, four, ensure adequate access to timely, affordable, and quality services for all people with substance use disorders. And I know in Milwaukee, we've got several different facilities. Rogers is one of them, but that's more of a private pay. And then there's some of the hospitals, and um, I don't even know if Dewey Center, and some of those are still in place. And how do you, how, with everything so tight, how is funds created? to um, help people who have these disorders. And we're talking about, I always think about it as kids, and it's hard for me to wrap my arms around. It's a 42-year-old person right. who is probably raising a family yeah. and, a, and is under some belief that the kids don't know. I mean, our kids know everything that's going on in our houses, yeah. even if we don't think they do.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and some people have been able to, you know, be managed, you know, and I don't mean the word managed, but they've been able to exist in enough of a plane where they're still been taking heroin. Mm-hmm. It's just when it gets to the point where they they have to have more and more of that, they can't. So, some people have been doing it for more than one or two or three years. But it it is an issue where we're trying to get the uh, money from both um, state grants and federal grants um Prior to leaving office, President Obama authorized a billion dollars to be distributed among states. It was really really important resources, but, you know, a lot more money is needed. And and that's the reality because, you know, we have a shortage in housing in Milwaukee right now. There is a waiting list and trying to find additional places where people have safe environments where they can be treated. It would make a big difference.
1: You know, Michael, I had a friend who is has passed away, and his parents were both alcoholics. And I remember him telling me that he couldn't be around bars. Whenever somebody would put ice in a glass, his dad used to put ice in a glass and shake the glass, and he could hear that ice. And he said he it was so traumatic for him yeah. as an adult to just hear someone Right. S- sit there shaking a glass with ice in it, and we have no i. We can't imagine how some of the things that happen, whether it's a child or an adult, the effect that it has on someone. Yeah, and and I hear people shaking ice all the time. I have no no right. impact, but for him, it just brought back all these horrific memories
0: yeah look at i think of that little girl who was talking to the doctor from children's hospital what triggers are going to be affecting her for the rest of her life will it be somebody she sees on the ground that will remind her of her mom on the bathroom floor i mean there's just so many things that will have an impact
1: my guest today is alderman mike murphy we are going to take a break and we will be right back this is Karen Ellenbecker and uh, MoneySense, and my guest is Alderman Mike Murphy. And we only have seven minutes left, so I'm not going to waste any time. No. Just get to it, Mike. What about improve um, epidemiology and surveillance related to sustenance? And then what about our, f- our federal, state, and local policies? I mean, is it really working?
0: Yeah, so we're working very closely with the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Brooke Lerner uh, has a, a website called COPE. Um, which I would encourage people to go to. It lists all the agencies, both public and private, in which people can get access. Then go to my website, um, mmurf at to get access to it and just link onto it. And it'll list all the directory of where all the services are provided. What she's doing is looking collaboratively with the medical college um, and, and with the, our medical examiner, all the uh, overdose deaths. Why is that important? Having important uh, and good data can really guide us in terms of our strategies as we go forward in terms of providing limited financial resources to address this epidemic. So that's why we look at this as like any other public health epidemic disease. How do you approach it um, from that strategy? And so having good basic research will allow both uh, the hospitals, physicians, uh, medical providers, um, to see how we want to treat this addiction and what are the best practices, not just locally, but nationally and worldwide. So her um, organization that we've partnered with provides that opportunity. Zilber Family Foundation has been an incredible partner. Joe Zilber unfortunately lost his own son to heroin addiction, and his organization um, there's Susan Lloyd, who's been an, an incredible support of, uh, of this program. has provided financial resources to allow the medical uh, college to provide um, the services along with the city of Milwaukee as a sponsor and the medical college. Um, so those are some of the key things that the, having that good data will help. Now, working with our, our state and uh, federal um, legislators to have good policy, you know, there, that's the one thing in our country right now, there is bipartisan support which is, you know, remarkable. It's the only thing I can see out there. People agreed um, from both parties that this is uh, an issue, that they need to work collaboratively together. So I'm pleased to see that um, people are generally trying to find solutions, realizing it's a multi-pronged attack. There's no single, single bullet's going to solve this issue. But, you know, we work collaboratively with our state legislators, um, Representative Nigron, whose own daughter is in jail right now, um, she is an addict, and she, she got involved with providing drugs to somebody else, and they died, and she's being charged. Uh, but he's been uh, at the forefront, Republican legislator and progressive legislation, to address this issue on the federal side. We're working with Senator, like I said, Senator Tamley Baldwin and others to try and get those additional resources on the streets of this city to help the people that make a difference. And and we're going to continue doing that.
1: Mike, what can what can people do? We 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 want to engage our community to be part of the solution. And how can they do that? And how, where do you need the help?
0: Yeah, I, I you know we we have our um, a public meeting on the twenty fourth over at Mitchell uh, Library, um, at Mitchell Street Library, on and on the 24th between 5.30 and 7.30. And, you know, I encourage people to come by, and we'll have another one I'll announce in Oak Creek where people can review our task force recommendations, provide additional insight as to what they think we should be doing more. But I think to your point, Karen, is not to give up hope. I've had that conversation with a lot of people. You know, many times addicts, um, the recidivism rate is high and people can get frustrated, but you got to have hope. And I think what they can do, you, know, you can go to my website, they can look at working with uh, COPE with Dr. Brooke Lerner. They have a list of all the clinics and all the directories that we've um, listed. They can access them. Um, I can provide them information on how they can get in touch with their county. How um, can parents... Associates-
1: get into a group to support them because you and I talked a little earlier about the mom who said, am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? Should I help her out of jail? Should I do this? Did I love her too much? Did I not love her enough? Um, Every parent goes through that.
0: Yeah, I believe there are some support groups and, you know, I can certainly uh, refer people to them uh, if they're interested and I can refer them um, through the appropriate agencies. But, I think that support group can be very powerful for a lot of people where they can just talk about um, what's going on.
1: What do you hope for the city? What do you hope happens with this task force that you put together and you've worked so very hard?
0: Yeah, my goal and objective is to, um, first of all, reduce the number of overdose deaths in our community. Um, I don't want to see 400 ever again. I'd like to see it down substantially over the next five years, reduce significantly uh, at least by half. Um, What I'd like to see is um, a new concern, concerted effort in terms of prevention strategies that last the time. This is not going away um, so that there's a long-term commitment to providing prevention strategies and that there's a consistent flow of money to provide uh, treatment uh, options for people. Um, so that if they want help, they can get help. Those are some of the basic things I like to see.
1: And I think awareness. I had read at some point that a lot of children years ago, I don't know that it's true, their first um, time that they experienced the drug was um, either playing football, playing sports, or having their wisdom teeth removed. It's true. It's
0: true. We've had, it used to be not too long ago, that oxycodone was prescribed for 30 days for removal of wisdom teeth. And that's yeah. like giving a kid a load of gun. Yes. Um, so I think, I think there's parents much Parents need
1: to be aware yeah. as to how, right. what's, what their kid is taking right. and where they're getting it from. They are. Just yeah. even in an illness.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I have hope for the future. I think a lot of good people are committed to making a difference.
1: So, Michael, anything else on the horizon for you? We've got just a a couple seconds here to go that you're working on in the community. A
0: positive story. I'm working on renovating uh, playgrounds in our city, MK Place. Um, I recently received a grant from the Disney Foundation, and we've raised $1.7 million to renovate 14 playgrounds in this city. And uh, a lot of people care about kids. And um, those little things of making an enjoyable summer for kids and adults.
1: A safe place.
0: A safe place. Makes a difference.
1: A safe place for kids to go. And certainly I'm guessing that parents feel really good about having something like that right. in their community. Rather an
0: attractive nuisance, it's a, po- a positive influence. Yes.
1: That really sounds wonderful. So, Michael, I think um, just on on another note here is that I know that you'll be having this task force. We'll have you back to keep us really abreast of all the things that are going on in our our community. And don't forget if you'd like somebody to hear this interview, you can go to EllenBecker.com, go to radio, and under that is Money Sense and also our charitable um, radio show that's on Saturday, every other Saturday from 5 to 6. So you can just select what you'd like to hear there. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend.